0: This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Tim Prady will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is September 5th, Tuesday. We're just back from the long Labor Day weekends. We saw that the U.S. Treasury yields have climbed so far, um, investors are considering what is kind of good news. It seems like we've hit our Goldilocks, Tim. I don't know. I mean, Goldman Sachs came out today with some bold claims. They're cutting the odds of recession to 15%. We also saw Fed Governor Christopher Waller talk to CNBC and said that we had a hell of a good week of data, um, which will buy the central bank some time on these decisions. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. yeah, well, you've you've had softer data. The Fed has been waiting and hoping to see softer data. Uh, And it's not just in uh, the labor market, but other data around consumer confidence. Don't forget, it's global data. Uh, We're part of a global economy. China continues to slow. Their PMIs are uh, right there at the verge of breaking 50 to the downside. Europe is already below 50 and getting revised down. Uh, So we've gone through this long period where the, where the city economic surprise index was was kept going higher. The data kept surprising the upside. That's kind of turned over now, where the data is starting to soften. And look, somebody like Jan Hutt is the guy from Goldman Sachs who only thinks there's a 15% of recession, he's kind of made the argument that, um, that the long and variable lags argument, which is my argument, and I think it's a somewhat consensus argument, said so look, there are reasonable and normal... Uh, explanations for why the long and variable lags are longer this time. We've talked about the importance of housing. So many Americans have termed, excuse me, have 30-year mortgages and have turned termed out their loans. Same thing uh, for corporate treasurers. If a decade of zero interest rate policy didn't cause you to term out your debt, you're not much of a treasurer or a CFO. So what you've had is cost of capital has moved much, much higher, but the effective cost of capital for companies and consumers has only started to push up. So, you know, I disagree with Mr. Hatsius that there's only a 15% chance of recession. I think it's higher than that. I think it's a good bit higher than that. And I think we are starting to see, you know, some of the impacts now of the long and variable lags not just to the u.s economy but to the global economy i think we're starting to see the impact of the getting to the end of the excess savings uh, that was created by all the stimulus so you know we are seeing some slowing uh and i think we will continue to see that slowing and i think that the economic surprise index starting to roll over tells us that we are starting to see more of the impact of a higher cost of capital and lower availability of capital.
0: Yep. I mean, it seems uh, the job growth numbers certainly have showed a slowing picture uh, when we're looking at ADP um, slowed more than we expected in August, and you know private employers added just 177,000 jobs, which was well be well below revisions. So that's yep. part of it, right? I mean, it's,
1: yeah. It's good and, and you use the word revisions. I mean, revisions are coming fast and furious, right? I mean. I think the June number now is only 100,000. We started at over 200,000 on that number. The number that we just got is going to be revised down. Uh, it's very clear, if you look at the history of non-farm payrolls, when we're trending up, revisions will be up every month. When you're trending down, the revisions will be down every month. We've had seven months in a row of negative revisions. So there's nothing Goldilocks about this number when you assume the trend is down and it's probably getting revised down the labor market is weakening and you can see that in temp staffers you saw it in the jolts data you see it in the quits rate slowing down at the same time though we still have you're slowing down from extraordinary levels you've gone from extraordinarily tight to very tight you know so there is still inflationary pressure and I know we're gonna talk about this, that is coming from wages. Wages are still running at four or 5% in an economy that has basically negative productivity growth. That is inflationary, right? Our economy with very little workforce growth and negative work and negative productivity growth can only grow pretty slow. We can only grow around one or one and a half percent. We're going right around there And that's too fast for the labor market still. And that really is the issue. And that kind of speaks to my longer term thesis, which is that we're going to bump along with really slow growth. And my guess is that labor stays too tight. And that creates a very difficult position for the Fed. And that's where I'm higher for longer. I don't think the Fed will be in the position to be able to cut four times, which is now priced into 2024. I think there will be, despite some economic weakness, enough inflationary pressures. Oh, and by the way, oil's 87 on WTI this morning. Uh, Enough inflationary pressures that are secular, that are global, uh, that keep the Fed uh, at higher for longer.
0: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned WTI. Saudi Arabia just extended its $1 million barrels per day, voluntary production cuts obviously that's inflationary. You mentioned wages. Uh, I mean, the New York Fed had an employment survey that came out on Monday that showed the average reservation wage or the acceptable new salary job. It's close to 80 grand, you know, 78,000 and change. So that seems very, very high to me. Um,
1: Yeah. Look at all the the over 55-year-olds who have left the workforce. They've got 401ks and so forth. And it just, it's going to be a lot. Look, we don't have slack in terms of that classic 25 to 54 uh, core of the labor market. So we have to pull in, we really do have to try to pull in more of those over 55s. And those over 55s are going, I'm good. You wanna give me 80 grand? You know, I historically made 50, 60, 70. Yeah, maybe I'll do it. That's what we're talking, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at where people have some expertise, where they've got some ability, it depending on the industry of course but there is very very real labor inflation and there's going to continue to be real labor inflation in a lot of industries it won't be in every industry you'll have industries where it's soft uh but we don't have any slack and that keeps things tight industry by industry
0: so the cleveland fed came out on a paper on wage inflation you know i was looking at the relationship yeah. between wages consumer spending and hours worked address the Phillips curve we've talked about. Uh, but, you know, you see some areas like hospitality sees a lot of wage growth in tight labor markets, but then some other sectors don't, right? It was one of the consensus arguments. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I saw the Cleveland Fed study and it always just looks like you're not at all trying to look forward. What What, what we're talking about is what is gonna happen with the Fed going forward? How is the Fed gonna look at inflation going forward? And what Powell tells us and what other uh, Fed governors tell us is they're worried about labor. They're worried about a tight labor market. As the Cleveland Fed study looks backwards and says, oh, actually, there was more inflation than there was wage growth. Well, we know that. We knew that there were parts of inflation that were going to be transitory, the supply chain shocks uh, and um, some of the other uh, main, some of the goods demand that got really, really excessive. You knew that those aspects of inflation were going to roll over, but as they rolled over, what has stayed high? Labor, and that is what I'm worried about. That's what the Fed is worried about going forward. Uh, the Phillips curve is real, in my opinion. A lot of people look at it and they say, "Hey, look." Um, you really haven't had wage pressure and yet, you know, everybody's worrying about Nehru at seven and they were, then they were worried about Nehru at six and then at five, uh, Nehru is the level at which, and I'll screw up the acronym, but uh, the naturally accelerating inflation rate of unemployment, something like that. Uh, that's where you should have wage growth uh, when you, when you should have inflationary pressure from wages, when unemployment gets to a certain level. Well, I think you just had to get to this level, and I think you had to get to this level on a secular basis where you didn't have slack. So, in other words, the Phillips curve hasn't kicked in until now. That's not to say that the Phillips curve doesn't work. We just never got tight enough for it to work, and now we are.
0: Right. I mean, and that was kind of based off old consensus positions where, uh, I mean, Eru or I mean, peak unemployment might have been considered six or seven. And then we hit a long stretch of three some, four some, uh, and then it just didn't, hadn't happened. Right, so, right. Yeah.
1: and now, yeah, and now it has.
0: Yeah, now it has. Uh, well, uh, just after Labor Day, I mean, before this, we had a huge NLRB union rule. Uh, functionally, it's eliminated a policy, uh, you know, 50 years ago. And what's happening is that. It requires businesses to that commit labor law violations. You know, i.e., if they fire a pro union organizer or if they force uh, employees to attend a seminar um, on why unions are bad. If that happens, then they're forced into bargaining uh, with unions as opposed to holding formal elections. So that makes unionization efforts a lot easier because it really ties the hands of companies who are trying to crack down on it proactively.
1: Yeah. I mean, you talk you talk about throwing a little bit of gasoline on the fire. It's like mm-hmm. it just adds another leg to the stool for why we're going to continue to see more unionization and more worker empowerment. Look, workers see the uh, initial UPS driver going from 16 to 25 uh, over five years. And, and that they say, oh, OK. Maybe being in a union is a good thing. So you have so much more union activity year over year. The charts are really kind of parabolic. You also have sentiment turning much more positive Mm -hmm. towards being in a union. I I think people just who have service industry jobs have never considered the possibility of being in a union. Now you get this NLRB, the National Labor Relations Board ruling uh, that says, actually, you know you don't even have to hold a vote if you found that the company has done some some there's been some malfeasance towards workers uh you can just go straight to you know don't worry about our past go collect two hundred dollars union uh so i i just think that there are all the reasons in the world and this just adds one more why you're going to see more union activity uh and 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 why that trend will accelerate it, workers are empowered, you have a tight labor market. they're not shipping your job off to China. You have power now, especially in service industries but you look at this UAW negotiation uh, and you know they're coming at this really hardcore. They're coming at this where I repeat myself, but they didn't shake hands uh, mm-hmm. when they started this negotiation and they seem to be more than willing uh, to go on strike. And, and, and you strikes yeah. me that they will. And, and I think it's actually one of the reasons why auto production has been as strong as it is, because you want to try to build some inventories before you have a strike.
0: And the Hollywood writers strike continues. That's gone through this the weekend as well. Strikes. Which
1: is right. doesn't seem to be much progress on that front.
0: No, that's a long time coming. Um, but yeah, so you know, it's gonna be a, a dynamic to watch for sure. Um, so I think that. The NLRB's union rule was more of a. It was kind of representative of everything that we've seen over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um. A- a- anything we missed out on this week, Tim?
1: Yeah. Um. Look, it, it's quiet because Congress isn't in session, but I think it's becoming more and more clear that the odds of a government shutdown keep going higher. Uh, and it would be, I believe, October first or around then when the government shutdown would start. And, and I you're starting to see what happened here like you know when when we had the debt ceiling showdown mccarthy went to his members and said look just vote for this thing and then when we get to september we will call the numbers that we agree uh, that we agreed to as a ceiling and that we'll negotiate for lower well the senate is going to put forward a bill that reflects exactly what was agreed to in the debt ceiling negotiations So there is going to be a conference between the House and Senate that is a long, long ways away. Um, So McCarthy really has his hands tied here. He can't get a bill passed with the help of Democrats because he risks losing his speakership. Uh, So I think the odds are really high that we're gonna have a government shutdown. And to the degree that, some of the weakness in the bond market, and I'm, I'm not saying that anybody could quantify this, but the more DC looks like a clown show, the more we look like we can't govern and we can't create responsible budgets, uh, responsible levels of revenues and le- responsible levels of spending, I think it increases the risk that you continue to see uh, the 10-year break higher. And that's that's everything that is where, where my, if I'm thinking about what does the equity market do over the next three months, there's one stat I want to know, which is where is the tenure? Yeah. I mean,
0: so we'll come across like a banana republic that doesn't grow bananas. Um, but like, but I mean, I guess in terms of party politics, do you see how it plays out? Because the election's a long ways away, both, uh, you know, the midterms and the presidential. Do you think we'll have any impact on that, you know?
1: It's hard to say. Look, these guys are going to be listening to the to the uh, to the pollsters. They're going to be looking at how things play out. But if you're Chip Roy in Texas, uh, you know, who is, I I believe, the head of the Freedom Caucus and one of their head legislative um, people there within the Freedom Caucus. He's not losing his seat. No, he'd like to keep a House majority. But, you know, the Freedom Caucus guys, the only way they lose their seats and I've written about this is from the right same thing with with some of the any gerrymandered seat where a liberal sits in it the only way that person is going to lose their seat is from the left and it just creates an an era where there's less compromise if such a small percentage of all the seats in congress are actually competitive then none of the people in non-competitive seats really have any incentive to, to 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 compromise all of a sudden now your opponent in 24 elections uh, in your primary is showing pictures of you shaking hands with a democrat or you shaking hands with the republican and that's all they need to say this person is a rhino or this person is not uh, a true uh, liberal so it just creates the 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 gerrymandering to me creates a huge long-term issue that makes it harder and harder Uh, to govern and to come up with reasonable, thoughtful, compromising fiscal solutions. And then the last piece that I would say, and we touched on it earlier, but oil is getting away from us. I mean, the Saudi production is the real deal. If you show their production um, on a year-over-year basis, it is is falling hard. Like, they are doing what they said they were going to do. Um, U.S. production is super, super strong, but the rig count is coming down. So U.S. production is gonna be softening. Russian production is softening. You know, there was that period when the Venezuelans and the Mexicans and the Iranians were uh, were producing well. Those periods in these pariah states where there's such long underinvestment, they can't handle that for very long. So the, to the degree that the global economy, and don't forget, it's not just the U.S., U.S., Europe, and China. There's a whole global middle class that is growing every day in Indonesia, and Malaysia, and India, and, and Bangladesh. Uh, you know, two-thirds of Chinese exports are not to the U.S., and Europe, and Japan. They're to the whole rest of the world. That whole rest of the world is gonna grow, and they're gonna grow their demand for oil and coal and natural gas and the cheapest forms of energy that they can get. So sorry for that whole digression, but oil, the demand for oil and the weakness in production is a real inflationary fear. So think of, about that as, as as a as a possibility where our economy is slowing, you know, we're getting towards very little job growth, zero job growth, but the Fed is looking at oil up 30% since June. Realizing that's going to that's gonna filter into inflation expectations, and then back to that Cleveland Fed essay, what does that do? That increases workers' demands for higher wages when their F-150 is, is at four, you know, they're filling their F-150 at four bucks a gallon.
0: Right. Uh, it sounds good, Tim. Well, um, it's good to be back. Thanks for our listeners and subscribers, and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the contents. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.